Well, welcome to the 551 Podcast. My name is Wes Berdine. This is the special uh, Scandinavian edition of our podcast where um, there's not much news going on in Minnesota United world, uh, even in MLS world. And so uh, I decided to give the rest of the co-hosts a, a break and instead call up um, two of my friends that I've made over the years in, in the soccer world. Uh, um, first, I've got Henrik Hult, uh Lune. He is our, uh, our Copenhagen-based uh, 55-1 consultant. How are you, man? I'm good, thank you. Good. It's uh, You also um, uh, make me feel good about my Danish roots of, of being a fellow uh, glasses-wearing baldy beardo. So, uh, so it's good to have you um, uh, on the podcast. Um, you are in Copenhagen, right? That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. I've been there for the last twelve years. Okay, that's that's less I, I knew. So, um, and then we've got our our Swedish friend who this is the second time on this podcast. Um, the last time you were in person, uh, Johan uh, Jukov. It is great to see you. How are you? I'm fine. Nice yeah. to be. Nice to speak to you again. Yeah, yeah. You've got. It's been um, almost two years, but I know, but it feels like seven years. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the, at least the, the last seven years of 2020. Um, <laughs> so, you know, on the podcast, I figured I would just give you guys a call up um, mostly because I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've chatted with you over the years about soccer, but also I'm, I'm just curious, you know, when with not much going on, I'm curious to hear from you how, what the world has been like uh, over there. Um, Henrik, let me just start with you. What is, what's pandemic? Or actually, sorry, let me get your introductions first. But I want to ask about pandemic life. But Henrik, um, you, if I remember correctly, there's a, the, the MLS connection is a Toronto thing. But tell me, give me your kind of basic uh, soccer background. Who, who do you support in Denmark and, and how did you get involved in MLS? Um, in Denmark, I, uh, I support uh, a team called uh, AGF or uh, Aarhus. Mm-hmm. Uh some uh, U.S. fans will know them because Wade Barrett and uh, Jeremiah White. Uh, Wade Barrett played for San Jose and Houston, and I think Jeremiah White wasn't contracted by Philly uh, one of the early years. So there's a uh, some U.S. connection there, uh, and uh, and yeah, I I went to North America for the first time in. 2007 and started off in Toronto uh, at a TFC uh, Red Bulls game uh, and they actually won uh, Toronto uh, in their first season so uh, just couldn't uh, couldn't resist it and uh, they stuck to me since and uh, loyalty finally paid off a few years ago yeah did you did you were you able to watch that game live and and like celebrate on your own at three in the morning or, or was it a night game or a, a day game oh, I've, i remember it being a, a night game so yeah. i had to be really quiet because if i remember correctly i watched uh i was in my mother-in-law's uh, cabin in sweden with, with my wife uh and the rest of the family so i had to be really quiet because uh, i didn't want to wake anyone up <laughs> <laughs> The quietest celebration at two in the morning. Yeah, um, that's that's fantastic. Do you still watch a watch a, a decent amount of MLS, or or is that less these days? Well, uh, as I told you, I have a 
three-year-old kid and uh, a kid who's almost uh, nine months. So uh, one would think that that would keep me up at night to watch soccer, but uh, unfortunately not. So I think the last year, it's also the whole pandemic thing. Mm -hmm. I haven't had the energy to really uh, watch that much soccer. But so for me, the last year, it's more been a... Watching soccer has been a, a meta thing, like watching highlights and then just consuming the the culture that is mm-hmm. that is soccer, and trying to just basically survive your life. Yeah. <laughs> um, Johan, r- remind me of you know we had you on the podcast a while ago, so some listeners will remember. But um, tell me where where your uh, connection to American soccer came from. Yeah, um, I became interested in MLS and North American soccer back in 2000, the win, late 2008, early 2009. Um, I'm actually not quite sure how it happened. There was just something that sparked my interest in like the US and Canada. And I've been a soccer fan since I was a kid. So I sort of combined those, Mm -hmm. uh, those two into, yeah, let's give soccer in North America a try. And I've been, uh, I've been stuck ever since. Uh, it's been, uh, it, it's been quite a while now. Like uh, Seattle, Sa- the Sounders were an expansion team when mm-hmm. I started following, yeah, uh, MLS. So, uh, well, and you had, um, oh shoot, I'm totally. Was it uh, Freddie Lundberg? Was the big, was their big signing right that year? Exactly. He yeah. he was their one of their designated player, or perhaps their only designated player in back in 2009. Yeah, and he was really good that season. I yeah. think he was. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was in the MLS Best Eleven that year. And then he turned seventy immediately after that season. He was. Yeah. Just, he was an old man. <laughs> and then, and for um, like eight or nine years, I had this like I don't know what to call it, like a blog about North American soccer for a Swedish sports website. I okay, still occasionally write mm-hmm. uh, like. Uh, news reports and stuff like that in uh, for this website, but not even close as fre- frequently as it used to do. And I also had an interview podcast about North American soccer for like three years between 2014 and 2017, I think. Um, and this and is then, the, this yeah, is the one that, that t- we talked about Ibsen in when you were on the podcast. Or was it Pablo uh, Campos? Who was the Brazilian? Uh, that uh, yeah, that was actually another one. That oh. was the Afonso Alves podcast that yes. where you were, when you which you were on, yeah, uh, which was uh, a podcast I did. Uh, sort of, um, the theme of the podcast was Afonso Alves, who is a former Brazilian international who played, for instance, in the Swedish league uh, and is considered perhaps uh, the best foreign player to ever play in Sweden. So I did this podcast. I did. 55 or so episodes about sort of different connections to him. Uh, and Paolo Campos was one of the guests. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon-ish? Exactly. That's yeah. That's an excellent way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an, like every time you tell me about it, it's just an amazing kind of amazing idea for a podcast of uh, because it, it tells you, it gives you like an, an avenue to explore the world, but through a really narrow lens of this one guy. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I and I, 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 I was actually really, really close to actually managing to do a, 
an interview with Afonso himself because I, I did manage to get in contact with, with his brother who uh, he and Afonso are running this like uh, soccer agency nowadays. Uh, and I managed to get, get a hold of his brother and I, as I told him who I was and what I had been doing for the past couple of years. And I basically asked, I would like to do a final episode of this podcast and I would like to interview Afonso. So he gave, actually gave me Afonso's phone number and I sent him and he, had, he told me to uh, just send him a message on WhatsApp and he'll mm-hmm. probably respond, but he never did. What so, an uh, asshole. Yeah, that was shame. 55 <laughs> episodes. It gives you nothing. Golly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and your, your um, club in Sweden is Hammerby. That's, that's yeah, you support, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. Someone stole my Hammerby mug that you gave me when you came to visit, so I'm very mad about that. Yeah, so. I'll, 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 if I manage to get there, uh, uh, again, I'll definitely bring some new merch, Hammerby merch for you. Excellent. That's, that's, uh, I'm, I live for it, um, for people stealing it then from me. Um, Henrik, give me the, uh, um, the, the AJF, uh, the, the Aarhus uh, push. Why, why, what's special about them? Uh, in a way, many ways are actually quite similar to, to Hammerby. Uh, they, except that they're not a capital team. They come from the second biggest city in Denmark. Uh, in Denmark, they're quite known for uh, having a very loyal, very passionate fans. For a time, uh, the, the fans were a bit infamous because uh, the team uh, has white shirts and for a while there was a group of neo-Nazi fans uh, ah. calling themselves White Pride uh, ob- for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But uh, so so people who don't follow soccer still connect us to, to them. Uh, but we got rid of them, so that's the success story. You can actually get rid of uh, na- Nazi fans, uh, uh, except if you're NYCFC. <laughs> you beat me to it, All right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, they. I started following them. Uh, yeah, it must have been around two thousand. Yeah, around two thousand four, two thousand and five. Uh, I don't come from that city. Uh, I actually did uh, the thing that you shouldn't do, uh, switch uh, soccer team. Uh, but I fell in love with a girl from that city, fell in love with uh, her, fell in love with the team. She she broke up with me and they got relegated. <laughs> and you <laughs> and stuck that, with the team. That's the weird yeah. part. Yeah, okay. Well, she broke up with me. I couldn't stick with her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then they ended up uh, being hit by the World Cup curse. So they got relegated in 6, in 10, and in 14. Oh. Mm. Uh, so just up and down. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, I guess part of me just uh, like to hurt myself, which also uh, explains why I stuck with TFC. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So this, this whole thing of my... Uh, and now, like last season... Uh, they finished third. So with Toronto being a good team and Aarhus being decent, it's a bit of an identity crisis for me. Yeah, I, I know the feeling with Minnesota. It's uh, I mean, they're only decent now, uh, but it, it, it's very hard to, uh, to, to deal with when they win playoff games. I don't know what to do with myself. Um, how, how's Hammerby been the, the last couple of years, John? Um, they have been 
also a bit up and down. I mean, uh, in 20, let's see, uh, in 2019, they finished third, which was, uh, I would say, slightly above expectations. Uh, they were actually they actually had the chance of winning the league going into the last game of the season, but they ended up in third place, and instead, Djurgården, the main rivals, won the league. Oh. Um, I, remember, I remember watching that round, and I usually don't watch Swedish soccer, but uh, just uh, there was the, having that freeway tie between three teams that yeah. got... It was a Hammarby, Mal- Malmö, and Djurgården. And uh, Djurgården, they were actually down 2-0, in uh after the first half and were it was looking like they would uh they would uh finish second and Malmö would win but then you when it came back and I I can't remember if they did they was it 2-2 or did they actually even win the game I can't remember nevertheless they they did what they had to do when they won the league and Hammarby finished third but then going into last year's season 2020 uh Hammarby and Malmö were considered to be the best teams, uh, and uh, uh, Hammarby had in 2019. They had they scored like 75 goals in 30 games, so they had like by far the best uh, attacking game in Sweden. And ever, everyone basically expected them to continue that way in 2020. Uh, but they actually had a really poor season. Uh, they finished eighth, I think. Uh, they really they never like got their uh, their attacking game working the same the way they did last year or the year before. Uh, and Malmö ended up winning quite quite comfortably uh, by like seven point margin or something. And the, the biggest problem with Hammerg was that they had a terrible defense, Minnesota United 2017 <laughs> style defense. Um, and a lot of their attacking stars underperformed like the best player of Hammarby last year was a a striker who they signed on a free transfer from the second division which says everything you need to know about Hammarby of last year yeah um we will I want to get more into into the leagues and kind of what I should know and and think about um but I want to get back to that just basic question of uh what's what's pandemic life been like in uh in Copenhagen Henrik um, well, Denmark has gotten fairly uh, good uh, through the through the pandemic. We we have quite uh, low uh, fatality rate compared to most other countries, uh, which uh, to a large extent uh, stems from the fact that. Uh, <laughs> In back in March, uh, our politicians decided not to listen to the experts, because because the experts uh, initially were like, "Oh, we have we have to follow science. There's, there's no science, scientific proof that masks works." Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Even though people saying, "Well, that's because you never tested it uh, yeah. that way," so they were like, "This," so with the, and they were like, "Oh, you don't have to shut down schools and." Uh, so basically, our success stems from the fact that, unlike our neighbors uh, to the east, uh, <laughs> that we actually didn't listen to to the experts. Yeah. So we've uh, we're in our second lockdown now, but both lockdowns have been good, very good preemptively, uh, and we're also the. 
country in Europe that has uh, vaccinated the the most of our population. Okay, now um, you're just bragging, and it feels mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, but 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 okay. To be fair, we're slow at uh, approving vaccines, so you guys have more. Yeah. Well, so um, has you know the for for you the lockdowns and you've got you've got now a, a nine month old ten month old yeah and, uh almost nine and uh, okay. nine months and one that's uh a bit over three years so that's a good chunk of basically a lockdown baby right you know you have a baby right right toward the beginning of all the lockdowns and has that been are you just cooped up in your place is or are you in, in Copenhagen are you able to get out a little bit and kind of not feel like you're stuck in your your place. Well, ba- back in the spring, uh, also because you didn't, we didn't know what COVID was back then. Uh, me and my wife were basically expecting zombie apocalypse because uh, she was uh, like, she, she hadn't uh, given birth uh, at that point. My daughter was uh, born in, uh, in late April. Mm-hmm. So we were also fearing that that I wouldn't be able to be there uh, when she was giving birth, and that the hospital would be full of uh, of COVID patients. Uh, that it turned. Uh, Denmark, uh, our second wave peaked. Uh, I think a few weeks before, so mm-hmm. like we were quite lucky. But at the time, we didn't know, so we ended up uh, moving out of Copenhagen to my mother-in-law for two months. Uh, in the countryside, but then after that, uh, I work for a, a U.S. tech company that uh, they've been they've gone beyond uh, just what the authorities recommend and have just insisted everyone stay at work from home uh, mm-hmm. rather than going to the offices. And uh, yeah, uh, so it's just working from home, and then we uh, we have. To, 12 months uh, eternal leave here. So I just spend a lot of time with my wife and uh, have coffee breaks with my daughter. That's great. Yeah, I'm very jealous. I'm on uh, a a kind of uh, leave as well. It's just a really low unemployment pay. And yeah. (laughs) Um, Johan, what's life been like for you? Um, I mean, Unlike what, what a lot of people seem to think, we do have res- restrictions here in Sweden. But I mean, uh, you might know that Sweden has taken a like a different approach to the pandemic compared to a lot of other European countries. Mm-hmm. Um, some would call it like a bit more casual or like looser mm-hmm. than uh, compared to other countries. But basically, in the beginning, people were just advised to. Uh, wash your hands frequently, stay at home if you're feeling ill, and maintain social distancing and those sorts of things. Uh, the thing is that the Swedish constitution doesn't allow for curfews, so we, we never had any of those. Uh, but like um, during the course of the pandemic, new laws have been passed to at least try to uh, limit this, uh, the spread of the disease. Like... Um, uh, they put a maximum on the amount of people that are allowed to for like public gatherings and stuff like that. Like in the beginning, I think it was 500, then it was lowered to 50, and then it was raised to 300. But now it's like 
eight or something. <laughs> and, and and that includes like soccer games and yeah. concerts. So it's it's practically it's, it's impossible to uh, to have any sort of public arrangements at the moment, which is good. I mean, this is not the time. Um, um, but I mean, it's been. Uh, I, I've I've not been infected, and neither have any of my close friends or uh, family members. So that that's good. I'm really thankful for that. But I mean, it's life is a hell of a lot more boring than it used to. Like I haven't been to a professional soccer game since March. I haven't been abroad for a year and a half. I haven't been to a concert for a year and a half. So yeah. I mean, there's still a lot a lot of things that I enjoy doing. That's it, 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 that's impossible to do at the moment. Are you in Stockholm? Uh, I, I actually moved like oh. three months ago. Okay. Uh, I was born and raised in Stockholm, but I moved to a city called Nyköping uh, about three months ago, which is like an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes to the uh, southwest of Stockholm. Yeah. Is it so? Uh, are like, are you in a, a pretty urban setting, or is is it? Are, are you kind of? Uh, this, I mean, Stockholm is obviously a big city. This is uh, the city of New York has like fifty-six thousand people okay, yeah. or something. So pretty. So it, it's a small yeah. city, but but uh, I mean, the, this the same uh, rules and regulations apply here as in Stockholm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and also no one has to defend their. You know, you don't have to defend Sweden and, and the Swedish, just like <laughs> I wouldn't try to defend the American. Uh, response to COVID. Um, or anything else about the US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's just um so let me let me know if you guys have any lines on any jobs in uh Scandinavia or bars that need to be opened. Um you know, um one of the funny things that the the, the reason I got the idea for this uh was Henrik you had made a, a joke to me on, on Twitter when I had I had posted this um, article because um, Danish TV has been in the news and you were like, hey, I'm happy to come on the podcast and talk about this, but this is um, uh, maybe I'll have you just explain who is John Dillermond and what is what? how did this become international news? Uh, John, John Dillermond is a stop motion kids TV show about a man that lives with his uh, great-grandmother uh, who has a very childlike mind and uh, a 25-meter penis. <laughs> 25 meters is... Wow. That's <laughs> so, like... And it, is it, it 75 feet? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's so, and, and from what I know... Um, he can use it like a helicopter in it and it like has its a mind of its own as well. Yeah, it's it uh it get it gets him into trouble but <laughs> uh but also helps solve problems. Yeah. Just just So for, for so for example in in my one episode uh he wants uh he wants an ice cream but doesn't have any money. So the the dealer uh, I guess you would say Willie like it's a dealer man is a child like uh, a childish way of seeing Venus the way you say mm -hmm. Willie mm -hmm. uh, so it steals money from street musicians but that's, then that's a pretty low down penis though but but, but, but then he but buskers. but then he he helps them earn money by uh, using uh, using it as a stand up base 
uh, <laughs> helping them play music, so they end up with more money. So it, um, is, it creates problems and solves problems. So, what what do you what what do you make of this? Have you you've watched this? Obviously, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, my son is a uh, three year old son is a target audience. Yeah. So there's two ways uh, you can look at this, and. I also read some comments from a child psychologist, uh, and basically, uh, her view was: you can look at it in two ways. You can look at it through the eyes of an adult, or you could look at it through the eyes of a child. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it through the eyes of an adult, then you'll sexualize it, and then you'll see: oh, it's a typical man where the the dick gets him uh, into troubles, but he uh, always uh, gets out of it without consequences and be like, oh, it's sexualizing and putting all bad stuff into kids' minds. But her point is that you're not, you're an adult, you're not the target audience. Uh, the target audience is three to eight year olds. And for them, it just represents playfulness. Yeah. And they, they they hardly even think of it as a penis. It's just because it's like, like straight. any body part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's like it looks like a like a weird striped like a Where's Waldo tail or something like that. Yeah, from, it, it from could just a, just as well be a tail. Yeah, and for them, it like it's that childlike sense of adventure where you're like you like a, a four year old would wanna. Uh, take your grandmother's vase and uh, like flip it over and to see what happens. Oh, it fell to the floor and broke. Oh, and then you just play cute and get, get out of it. And it's, I don't really know what I think, but I I think it's a good point that you sh- you shouldn't look at it through the eyes of an adult because, and again, the big difference is also that Danish children's TV has a long tradition of not being educational uh, and and also having uh, an insistence on a lot of other children's TV is very much something you park your kid in front of, like, oh, I need to work, I need to do the dishes or, or cook or whatever. Whereas... A lot of the very ambitious children's TV here in Denmark, it really requires that you actually sit along uh, mm. as a parent and watch it with your kids, because then you actually have a conversation about it. And if you actually, then you can talk about with your kid that one time where they broke uh, something but didn't mm. mean to, and then oh, that's like him. And like we also have a character called Uncle Shrimp, who looks like a homeless person who smokes, is overweight, and uh, rescues uh, kids uh, along with his friend called Glasses, who doesn't wear glasses, uh, from um, an evil guy called Dr. John who wants to melt kids into uh, beauty products. We've got Caillou and, uh, and She-Ra. So that's basically basically what we we've got to, to compare to that too. <laughs> Although Shira is pretty amazing, if I may say. Um, that is um, 
yeah, you've just turned something very funny into a, a really good uh, um, way of imagining. Uh, but it's also really yeah. funny that he has a 25 <laughs> kilo penis. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not to take anything away from a uh, 25 meter penis uh, and, and the, the joy it brings. Um, uh, is any, any weird shit happening in Sweden? That you wanna, I don't. You don't have to have a seventy-five foot penis, but uh. Um, no, I mean not nothing. Uh, nothing of that magnitude comes to mind. But magnitude. But I could bring up uh, our our JFK assassination uh, yes. that I mentioned before. Yeah, tell me tell uh, me about this. You brought it up before we started, and I was like, I don't know anything, so I I was like, don't tell me anything because now I need to I need to be fresh. Yeah. Tell me about this. So the, the backstory is that back in 1986, the year before I was born, uh, the Swedish prime minister, Olaf Palme, was murdered in Sanders Argument. He was shot uh, after being at uh, the cinema with his wife. And uh, this murder remained unsolved for 34 years. Um, but then in um, early 2020, the like... Um, uh, chief uh, investigator announced that um, before the summer he would uh, present the conclusion of the investigation. Um, uh, and this, I mean, this murder is probably one of the, like, the biggest news stories in the history of Sweden. Uh, the prime minister was murdered. So, of course, it's a, it's a, it was a mm -hmm. huge, huge deal. Um, and uh, the investigation is uh, like the biggest in the history of Sweden. It's like even one of the biggest in the entire world, I think, like in terms of mm -hmm. pages written and interviews that have been held and so on. Um, so they held a press conference in um, June where they named a man called Stig Engström as the main suspect. Uh, he had, however, been dead since the year 2000. So uh, the prosecutors couldn't do anything but close the investigation. Uh, the thing is that during this press conference, which was about like two or three hours long, uh, they didn't really present anything that was new to the public. They basically just repeated what was already known. Uh, and before the press conferences, there had been rumors that they had found the murder weapon and or DNA from the murderer. But that wasn't the case. Those were false rumors. Um, so the only thing they actually had in terms of evidence were eyewitness accounts, which were like really vague and sometimes even contradictory of one another. And also the fact that the suspect's own statements when he was interviewed by the police were, uh, they didn't really like add up. There was like something strange with them. Um, so the evidence against him was like very, very weak. Um, and since this is one of the biggest events in the entire history of Sweden, it was like it was really underwhelming and like anticlimactic when the, they closed the investigation and named a suspect who had been dead for 20 years without any like concrete evidence. And um, um, the feeling was like the whole of Sweden like stood still for a few hours during this press conference. Uh, and most people, even like top criminologists in Sweden, were like really disappointed by what was presented because they, they, as I said, they didn't really present anything new. They just took, they just basically um, 
looked through what was already known and presented the theory of what happened. Um, yeah, how, I mean, I guess are, are people pretty, do, do you get, are people upset about it or, or is yes. it? Yeah, yeah, De definitely. Uh, because I, 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 most people assumed that since they announced that um, we're going to present a, a, a solution, they okay, they they must have found something. Yeah. Uh, after that, that they did, they after thirty four years actually solves this murder, but they hadn't. They just basically, I I, I think that they that they just felt that. We're not going. This is not going anywhere. We're not finding anything. Let's just close the whole the damn thing down and mm. and say what we what 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 and just and like present a hypothesis based on what we know, something like that. It's like JFK. We need mysteries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there a big national mystery in in Denmark? I think we're two success. We're a very egalitarian uh, country, and very everything has always been very uh, consensus-based, uh, similar to Sweden. But I think Sw Sweden ha has a like more of a class hierarchy, similar to to the UK. So I think we're just very homogenous and. Uh, yeah, that's not really. We're not that conflict seeking, yet. Uh, I have. I did watch Borgen uh, this this summer, so I'm I'm uh, fully steeped in Danish uh, politics and an expert in it. Um, Netflix just uh, paid uh, to reboot it with a another season. Oh really? Mm. Yeah. Oh man. Oh thank God. Yeah. Yeah. I I um I then moved from then to um there was a. You probably know this, but um, there was a, a, a mini series called I think it's 1864. Is that when the war was? Um, that it's a Danish mini series that has almost all the same actors from Bargain, but it's about the like really failed war over Holstein, uh, Schleswig, uh, um, and so it's really depressing. But watching all these these characters in, in actors in different roles is. But also to some extent, like the. The director is uh, part of like, and now I'm gonna sound very Trumpian, part of the liberal elite. Uh, uh, so like a lot of people have criticized that series of putting modern day politics onto a oh, interesting uh, like historical show and like not addressing the issues of the day, but rather like talking about today and yeah. and because it's publicly funded then. Like if if it's just pri privately funded uh, TV, then like who cares? Yeah. But because it's taxpayer money, then people talk about it. And and then it was just a weird scene of uh, teen boys masturbating into a cup. Yeah, it, uh, that's that is like one of the earliest scenes in the, the show. That uh, yeah, and I feel like. Certain things uh, are going on repeat here, <laughs> I sense. And like, at least Dane's uh, self-image in the Nordics is that we're like the um, 
libertines of the Nordics. Like the the Norwegians are more more Christian and more conservative, and the the Swedes are more uptight. Like we're the ones like the happy go lucky, yeah, yeah, whatever, man. Like stick it to authorities. So it was also the fact that. the COVID uh, crisis was handled so differently in Denmark and Sweden with Denmark going very authoritarian, like shutting everything mm-hmm. down, calling many millions of mink and yeah. like, we're just going to do it. We're breaking the constitution in order to kill the mink in order to avoid uh, mutations. And then seeing Sweden be like, hey, well, let's just relax. It's just a pandemic, man. <laughs> like, it's it's very confusing for us. <laughs> um, before I move, move on, uh, I need to know, is there another um, Danish show that I should track down that's been really good over the last few years? Uh, I, I haven't watched it, uh, but right now there's one on Netflix called Equinox. Uh, oh, okay which is uh, actually based on a podcast with that uh, it tells the story of uh, some missing uh, high schoolers. And at first, when the podcast came out, then people thought it was like a documentary. And they're mm-hmm. like, as they got into it, like, oh, it's fiction. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like my, my wife was, was like halfway into the podcast before she realized it was fiction. And now Netflix bought it and now i think it's rated the sixth most watched show on netflix worldwide yeah johan is there is there a swedish show that i need to to uh check out i've I've got to be honest i'm i've watched a lot of scandy shows i'm not sure other than the bridge right that was that was also danish it was danish okay i know it, (laughs) it 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 has it's like about the 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 connection between the two countries i forgot who made it so uh so give me give me something swedish to watch I mean, I, I'm awful with everything that comes to TV. I, I basically don't follow any TV shows. Okay. Uh, it's 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 really embarrassing. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that like my friends have talked about. But they they don't <laughs> they only watch watch like American series. Okay. It's all right. I mean, I will I'll I'll find something and let you know. I'm I'm deep it's, in a few weeds could, of, of re- read up on the Olaf Palme assassination. It's re- really fascinating. <laughs> oh, <laughs> While listening to ABBA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we got this far in and we only had an ABBA joke uh, half an hour into the podcast. I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I, I want to ask you guys about um, soccer over there um, in terms of the, the Danish and Swedish leagues. Um, there's kind of the teams, especially in, in Denmark, there's there's the teams that these days come on our radar. Obviously, we know Copenhagen. We know um, uh, the, the legend Bashkim Kadri came from from there. Uh, and, and also, Gregush came from... Copenhagen, Copenhagen. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, and then Michelin has, has been the... the Obviously, the the big club uh, in the news lately because they've got that kind of very uh, um, analytics based ownership, and you know have gotten to the Champions League. But what what's uh, what's interesting about the Danish league these days? Who who's interesting that we should talk about? Uh, well, this Copenhagen is uh, remains interesting because. They have by far the biggest budget. They've uh, had the most success in Champions League and in Europa League. 
so they'll just be a perennial contender, even though they've been really, really shit uh, last year or so. Uh, then there's uh, Michelin, uh, as you said, the whole analytics. But then also they come; they they actually come from the the city uh, where I grew up, and they just have an insistency on doing things differently, which really fits that um, that city. Like nothing, it's in the Heath uh, in Denmark where like you couldn't grow anything. But then after we lost Schleswig and Holstein in 1864, we had to have farmland. So they grew it there. So it's, there's a really good mentality there of getting something out of nothing. And, uh, and that uh, club is a, uh, it's a good uh, mirror of that, and but I'd also add uh, FC uh, Norseland, uh, mm-hmm. who was owned by an English guy called Tom Vernon, who runs uh, an academy in Ghana called Right to Dream. So they do the whole uh, we're a sustainable football club. We make sure that. Uh, the academy players, both in Ghana and Denmark, get a get an education, mm-hmm. and they also got a women's team. And the play, uh, the men's team played with uh, female idols on their uh, shirts one time. So, mm-hmm. and uh, they also donate one uh, percent uh, of their. Uh, I don't know if it's income or turnover, but mm-hmm. donate that to common goal. Uh, mm-hmm. This. Uh, charitable uh, organization created by Juan Mata. And uh, so they're, like, if you're a foreigner, that's the interesting clubs. Then there's others that have stories, but not really stories that that are relevant outside, I'd say. Well, I, was is, gonna, I, was gonna... I think there is, isn't there at least one Ghanaian player in MLS who played at Right to Dream? Was it perhaps Abu Dandladi or? I'm that sounds really familiar so i i i know about the right to dream mm-hmm. um but uh, they send a lot of their Ghanaian uh, give a lot of their Ghanaian players uh, scholarships uh to study in the US uh so like i think the other dominic oduro the one right. who did, uh, mm-hmm. the the not Columbus and Montreal and non pizza eating guy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> there was another Domodoro, uh, who was also at Manchester City. He's a right to dream guy, and mm-hmm. he had at least a, a stint in MLS. Yeah, I just looked up. You are totally right, Johan. Good, good memory. Abu Ladi is from there. Um, uh, David Akam is from there, uh-huh. and um, uh. Uh, there's another guy. Looks like now that I went to the Right to Dream website, there's a guy, Abdul Mumin, who is the. It, it says the first Right to Dream graduate to move directly to uh, North Zealand. So, mm. yeah, there's a, there's a few guys on here that that I recognize. Um, they were also part of football leagues with uh, Manchester City paying uh, money to uh, uh, FC, FC North Zealand, so they have uh, first dips on. Uh, oh. On those players, so that's uh, even the the brightest stories always have a hint of dark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough to tough to keep clean these days. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I was going to ask. Um, I needed to know who I was supposed to support since my family is is 
from Copenhagen, Copenhagen, but before that from like up north of that of in Tikob or Helsingor area. So well, you have you have two choices. Okay. Uh, either uh, you go all in on modern soccer and go with uh, FC Norseland. Also, the whole you'll also get the whole sustainable vibe. Mm-hmm. Or you'll embrace your uh, inner American uh, investor and go with uh, FC Helsingor, okay. uh, who has an American owner. Uh, he bought them pretty much after they like they got relegated, and then they got relegated again twice in a row. So, um, oh, you know what? He was uh, that guy was on um, Jordan Grant, Gardner. Yeah, Grant Wall's podcast. Um, Jordan yeah. Gardner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, um, you know, for a solid month there, followed me on Twitter. So I, uh, and then I drove him away. I think, but um, you know, so I, I did have a connection there. So all right, well, yeah. I'll I'll contemplate this. I can get really in on the ground floor with Helsinger. So, uh, uh, <laughs> um, and and Johan. Tell me, tell, tell me what's uh, what's interesting these days uh, in in Sweden. We've got the Rasmus Schuler connection. Uh, who's at? Um, I, I'll never say this team name correctly, so I'm just going to say Geogarden, and that'll yeah, be close that, that's pretty, pretty close. Okay, um, but Schuler is now with uh, with your your Hammerby's rivals, uh, so I'm sure he's he's dead to you. But what what else is um, interesting these days in, in Sweden? Swedish soccer. Um, I, there's a, a lot, a lot of things. Um, like like um, Malmo have have been uh, uh, by far the best team uh, the last decade or so in Sweden uh, because they qualified for the Champions League two times, I think, and also the Europa League. So they they've made it so much money. They they've got more money than all the other clubs combined in Sweden. Uh, so they they can buy players on a like a m- much higher level than anyone else is capable of. Um, so they won last year, but th- then uh, there were two, uh, they didn't win for two years, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but th- they are, uh, I would say, by far um, the best team and most like uh, financially stable club. Um, apart from that, we have. Um, um there are a few like interesting newcomers in 2021 in Sweden for instance there's a club called Diagerfors uh who are from a really really small city in western Sweden uh called Diagerfors uh i think the entire city has a population of less than 10,000 wow um and it's the population has been like declining slowly but steadily for a couple of decades uh, like the whole lifeline of that city has has been uh, an iron work, um, and uh, uh, like it's the city is really dependent on the, it's uh, the company that that runs the iron work, and uh, as soon as their business is going poorly, that has a huge effect on on the city because people are laid off or or they can't hire people and so on. Uh, they did play in the Premier Division in like the mid. 90s i think but they have they have been in the second and third division ever since so it, but now that they're back it's a huge huge thing for since it's such a such a small city uh they've had a few americans in the team uh one goalkeeper 
called Brian Edwards who played he played for Toronto, I think. Okay. I'm the the name rings bells. Yeah. Like a perennial reserve keeper around MLS. Yeah, like in 08, 09, I think. Yeah. He he spent a few years in in Diego Fosch. Um and then there's also a club in the second division called Akropolis, um, which was founded by Greek immigrants in like the late 60s. Um uh, and they've been, they, they were like a amateur team for many, many, many years. They played like in a sixth and seventh division. But then uh, like the past, I don't know, two decades or something, they've sort of been climbing the ladder. And last year they were in the second division for the first time. And they finished in fifth place, I think. So they are definitely doing something right. Uh, and they, now they've lost a couple of their best players. For instance, one uh, midfielder who played for the Jacksonville Armada oh, wow. a few years back in the NASL, um, who I actually interviewed for my interview podcast about North American soccer. Uh, he moved to Diego Fosch, the team I was talking about before. Um, uh, so name? there are What's definitely a couple name? of uh, like interesting, interesting clubs in the Premier Division as well as uh, as well as the Second Division. Um uh yeah, I, I could go on for huh. for for longer, but th- those are the two two that comes to mind. Um, you know, I, I had a question from Clark Starr on Twitter who, who wanted to know about Freddie Adu because you know mm. uh, Grant Wall has done his podcast um with Freddie Adu that just uh finished its seventh and final episode last week. Um he's he's over with a team called Austerlin. Um, in the who are in the third division, um, do you know? Have you has the Freddie Adu at, in Sweden thing? Has that does that have any valence or interest to you? Does that or or the larger larger population? Yeah, uh, it's been a f- fairly big thing, I would say. Uh, the things that the club Australians FF, they are. I think they were formed. Like seven or eight years ago, or something. Twenty fourteen, yeah, yeah. Twenty fourteen, yeah. Um, and uh, there's been some like sketchy business around one one of the club, one of the owners. I I don't know if he's if he even went to jail for, a, but there was some like financial, uh, mis like yeah, financial crimes or mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Um, so the the fact that he signed for. Out out of all clubs, he signed in Sweden. He signed for that. He signed for the, them. It's, mm, I mean, it it feels a bit sketchy. Actually, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he never plays for them. Actually, or he, um, I I also note notice that in in the because I listened to Grant Wall's podcast, he Freddie Adu said that he that the team is from uh, from Malmo, um, but Malmo is like an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> drive away from where the team, the club is actually based. So it doesn't seem like he knows a whole lot about the club or what he's actually going into. Yeah. Um, so there are some like alarm clocks are definitely ringing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that, it's so, such a weird story. I, I Freddie do his whole saga kind of depresses me. So I don't follow it. I, I will get to grants uh a podcast eventually mm. um but it, you know i had a question about australian um mm. be, because when i saw that they were founded in 2014 i'm curious for for both of you about 
the lower divisions and, and how you view them and how they work. Um, but, you know, seeing clubs founded recently, professional clubs, um, I you know, I have this kind of silly, simplistic view that like in MLS you get new clubs, but in Europe, like every club was founded in 1911 by shoe factory workers or something like that. And so um, when I see kind of new clubs and I've seen this over the last few years, um, I'm kind of curious how that works. You know, is, is it a big splash when like in this town, which is not a very big uh, place where Australia is from, um, where you get this new club and, and you have this kind of new, what, what is it like when these new clubs come on? Um, in, in Sweden, it's sort. I would say it's sort of like frowned upon, like because it it's it sort of goes against the 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 whole idea and like the, the soul of Swedish soccer. Mm-hmm. Like um, you're you're supposed to be uh, you're you're supposed to have been founded by shoe factory workers in 1911. You're not supposed to be uh, you're not supposed to be a club founded founded by an IT entrepreneur five years ago, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, and we recently we we also had clubs um, that have moved uh, like moved to the, to other cities in Sweden. Uh, there's one club uh, called AFC Athletic Football Club. They moved from Stockholm to uh, Eskilstuna, which is like an hour west of Stockholm, um, because Eskilstuna didn't have a professional team, and uh, so they basically thought that, well, in, in Stockholm, we're going to be like club number five or six in the hierarchy, but in Eskilstuna will be number one. So why not? Why not move there instead? And then there was also a club called uh, Dal Kurd, which was founded by Kurdish immigrants in 2005 or something. And they are from a, a city called Borlänge, which is like in the middle of Sweden. Uh, and they m- recently moved to uh, Uppsala, which is like an hour north of Stockholm. Uh, and that was also like that was also that was also um, like a big controversy, uh, especially since they 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 were like um, they were like really active in like the, in community work where they originally right. were based, and then they just packed their bags and left. So they they are um, they sort of uh, changed from being viewed as a really like a community oriented and respected club to to now uh, most people uh, instead they really like dislike them yeah Henrik do you do you, is that a similar situation for Denmark I mean Michelin were founded in 1999 so that it's not like they're maybe they I think finished. over time I think the like the the hardcore uh, fans probably feel similar to how it is in Sweden, but I think over time we've gotten uh, another general, uh, I guess, just mentality towards it. I I think uh, two major differences. Uh, In Sweden, uh, the professional clubs are, like in Germany, have to be controlled by the membership uh club that um that holds the license and and like founded it that community uh, organization and uh whereas in denmark uh 
the professional club can be uh, can be a, prof- uh, a company that's sold off to investors, mm-hmm. but still play on the on the license of that uh, amateur team, and that combined with the fact that there's more uh, more money uh, in Danish football than in Swedish, I think we've gotten a I guess a high tolerance of the fact that it's entertainment business. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the most successful clubs, it's FC Copenhagen. That was uh, the result of a merger uh, in the mid '90s. It's FC Midtjylland, uh, who was the result of a merger in in '99. Uh, FC Nordsjælland, which is not a merger, but it was um, a club playing in the lower leagues in in the in the early 90s and then they had a corrupt mayor who uh, decided he wanted a professional soccer team so he had all the municipal contractors uh, buy sponsorship deals and then they rose to the top uh, he got caught they almost went went bankrupt but then they because they didn't want to be associated with him, they changed from Farum, which is the city, uh, ball club, like ball club, mm-hmm. uh, into FC Norseland. And that's... Uh, so th- they've also, like, if you want uh, look at football that way, that's also very plastic. But yeah. even one of the clubs, uh, Brøndby, which is, uh, they have a strong fan base, uh, and, like, very much viewed as a community club, and, like, they they were founded in the in the 60s when the mayor uh like knuckled all the the small uh clubs together but then that was the community organizations themselves that merged and then created a professional uh side on top of it but then even they like they were one of the last clubs to still be controlled by the parent club but even they, they're not now owned by a rich guy, which, to be fair, is a fan, but it's it's still a, a rich man's toy. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You, you, you put it really well, because uh, like the diff- difference between Swedish and Danish football, in, the sense that in, in Denmark, clubs can be controlled by rich private investors, which isn't possible in Sweden. Um, but there are some people in Sweden that want to scrap our way of doing things, that they would like to um, make it possible for private investors in Swedish mm. soccer clubs. And I would say that the, a large majority is against that. I'm in, I, myself included, mm-hmm. uh, because I sort of feel like, yeah, we could perhaps raise the level of Swedish soccer a little bit if we allow private investors. But I, it would be, but it would be so by so little. I, I don't think it's really worth it. Like, uh, it's if yeah, we we could perhaps we we could um, uh, qualify for the Europa League three times out of ten instead of one and a half time out yeah. of ten, or we could perhaps win against I don't know. Slavia Prague instead of drawing. Yeah, but I mean, to me, it's it's not worth it. I I want it like I I want it to stay like it is because I like this like I I like it uh, the way it is that the clubs are sort of member 
owned and member controlled, so to speak. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have it like it is in Denmark, to be honest. Do do in either situation do you have um, clubs going bankrupt very often? Is that a common occurrence? Not often, but occasionally. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I just I look at some of the places. And you look at England these days, where you you know the 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 place that especially Americans always look forward to talk about promotion and relegation and lower divisions, and you just have so many clubs going and dying, and they can't. You know, there's just so much money, but also no money at the same time. Yeah. But in Denmark, uh, like when clubs go bankrupt, it's uh, it's. It rarely means that the club disappears because mm. uh, you're only allowed to have professional contracts in the top three tiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so below that, it's just like you're not allowed to pay. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, brown bags uh, mm-hmm. going around in the lower, lower divisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most clubs, uh, when they decide, if they get to the third tier and decide to want to have a go at it uh, professionally, they'll usually set up uh, a publicly traded company with all the the shares owned by the by the club, so that if the professional uh, uh, part of part of the club goes bankrupt, that doesn't mean that the uh, that the pensioners team and the kids teams uh, have to fold. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I want to. I've got a, a couple good questions here from uh, that I want to ask. But first, I've got a, Eric Silva Brenneman used to be, be one of the co-hosts of the show. Um, also lived in uh, Copenhagen for a year, I think. Uh, he wants to know how his anarchist uh, squatter area in Norbro uh, is going. Uh, how, how's that going? <sighs> Well, first of all, it must have been a while since. Uh, I since think he it was has here. been like 15, <laughs> because since he was there. <laughs> I think I think I've lived here for twelve years, and I think it was a few years before that that they'd been occupying this house for like twenty years or something, and it had basically become a, a fire hazard. And they've so, and it was the the building was owned by the municipality. So they decided, like, okay, we're gonna kick them out because, like, it's a fire hazard. They don't want to do anything about it. Then let's just sell it off. And then they, as the, whenever you think anarchist, you think like, oh, they must be anti-government, anti-state, whatever. But uh, in this case, they were like, oh, you you have to give it to us for free, and uh, like. Give give us money while we have it. Like, like very much. They come, like my <laughs> antipathy is showing, but they really came off with like, really like that teenage anarchist. Like, don't tell me what to do, but I still want pocket money. Yeah, <laughs> you sound like a gentrifier to me. That's that's. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you can't be a be an anarchist and want government money. <laughs> That's I'm, not I'm, how it works. Anarchism works. Yes. Uh, so I've got two <laughs> two really good questions from uh, Larkin Schopenhauer. Um, some on Denmark, some on Sweden. So I'll, I'll stick with the Denmark ones. But he wants to know, or they want to know. I'm, I'm actually not sure who this is. Um, what would it mean for Bronby to win their first title uh, since 2005? And then the other question of, are Copenhagen really as plastic uh, as, as some of their detractors claim? 
Well, uh, first things first. I think Bro- uh, Bromby fans will become insufferable. Uh, you said the, this is a this is a long-standing club that has a yeah. really good kind of um, but very loyal following. Or, yeah, like and like, but I think it'll be quite important for them because I think it's like 15 years since they last won mm-hmm. a title. So, like, you've reached the point where, like, people who are almost eligible to vote don't remember them. Like, you have to be. Like if you're a kid, you don't remember Bromby being a successful team. Right. Like it's just that, oh yeah, whatever dad, like 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 people talking about uh, in the UK, like not Nottingham Forest or yeah. or Leeds being a big team and then kids today being like, Yeah, whatever. Right. Uh, so like I think they need to win soon in order not to fall into that category. And yeah, and then what 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 do you make of uh, of of Copenhagen? Do they are they a, a plastic team, as people say? Well, I think if if you're a hardcore fan of one of the 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 teams with a long tradition, you think they're a plastic fan. But everything everything is artificial until it until it isn't like they've been around for over 25 years. So yes, they're result of a merger of two clubs, but after having been around for 25 years, like they have a lot of fans who are passionate and I, I don't want to uh, tell people how to be fans. And like, I've, especially after 25 years, I don't just, see any I don't think it's uh less authentic than than other football clubs but it's the people who don't like FC Copenhagen fans are the ones who who don't like the the idea of modern soccer and of mm-hmm. uh soccer being a business yeah um S- Swedish questions now who's the bigger Assyrian Swedish football hero Jimmy Dermaz or Kennedy and I don't know how to say this last name Bakir Soglu yeah, pr- pretty close. Um, I'm incredibly biased in this question because Kennedy Bakisugda, he's he's like a club legend of Hammerby. Okay. Uh, I would say he's probably one of the two or three uh, best players and like most iconic players in the history of Hammerby. Uh, so to me, it's definitely Kennedy Bakisugda. Um But um, in terms of like achievements i would say they are pretty similar i think uh, kennedy he retired a few years ago jimmy dormas he is under contract at galatasaray i think but he's on loan to a smaller club um the thing about him is that he, he has a pretty interesting backstory because he, he's he he played for sweden in the uh, world cup of 2018 mm-hmm. and he was the guy who uh conceded a free kick against germany that germany scored uh, which was the game deciding goal in the group stage. Oh, right. Uh, and after that game, he received like a lot of like death threats and racial abuse on social media. So in recent years, he has been most mostly known for that instead of his like football or soccer achievements. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, he, he's a he's a great player. Uh, he's played for some like big big clubs and he's done great things for. 
uh, for the Swedish national team. Uh, probably like more so than Kennedy Bakayoko did. But since Kennedy is, is a Hammarby legend, I he, he's my favorite out of the two. Go go with the Homer thing. That's yeah. that's good. <laughs> um, then the the next question is: Is Sweden better than its neighbors in the in in the club culture? giving chances to ethnic minority managers. And they have a, a couple examples here of um, Sarampa, uh, Melka Michel, uh, and Azrafshan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know these these guys, so uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you say. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how it is in Norway and Denmark, but it is true that there's in like the, maybe like the last decade or so, there's been a, a few... Uh, coaches with uh like foreign backgrounds who have made it uh, who performed pretty well for instance those uh, named there um hammerby had uh one of their assistant coaches uh up until recently is born i think was born in chile or if his parents are from chile or something so there, there's definitely been a few i don't henrik how is it in in denmark uh not at all to the same extent and i think there's there's two uh big factors here uh first of all uh sweden has uh a much uh laxer uh immigration and refugee policy than denmark do, uh, does so at uh, first of all just by that by that there's more people with uh a minority background in in Sweden than mm. uh, there is in Denmark, and but at the same time, as I mentioned before, there's a lot more money involved in in the Danish league and than in the Swedish, and the Danish league is also uh, the top tier is smaller. We only have uh, uh, twelve teams, uh, whereas Sweden has sixteen, and there's. Uh, Two teams uh, for over the last many years, it's it's been two uh, two teams or one and a half. We've had a playoff, so uh, the the risk of relegation percentage wise is a lot higher in in Denmark than it is in Sweden. So both because the threat of relegation is higher and the financial consequences of getting relegated, uh, at least that's my impression, is a lot bigger in Denmark. So. Coaching hiring in general is more conservative. Like mm. you, you pick more experienced coaches, uh, and it's the same five guys uh, going around to 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 the clubs. Like, oh, we need a co- coach. Let's just pick the guy that uh, half the other clubs gone has gone through. Whereas my impression is that in Sweden, uh, clubs are better at uh, taking chances. Also. Not uh, just with uh, minority coaches, but just younger coaches in general. And because Sweden has a larger uh, minority population, then as a result, because they go with younger coaches, then they're bound to to hit uh, also more uh, minority coaches. Yeah, I think that's a fair fair assessment. Is there? Um, any... oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm curious. Is there any talk about? increasing the size of the the danish top flight uh, to to 16 teams or no we don't we just uh we had it at 14 okay. uh or for a few years but then we reduced it again because mm-hmm. 
it's also as I'm, I mentioned before, I think we're also a lot more. Um, whilst I think uh, Sweden is more married to the the amateur ideals uh, of how to to run football or soccer, whereas I've in Denmark we're a lot more. Um, where there's a more of a professional mindset. Uh, mm. And so when they reduced it from 14 to 12 teams again, it was also looking at um, like, is do we have a big enough population to support having mm. that many teams? Like, and, uh, but also just, uh, you created uh, more games, uh, even though, like, you had a difficult time uh, attracting uh, enough viewers and mm. enough people to go to the, the stadiums. And then, uh, some people were arguing, like, if we don't think we have enough people watching games, uh, maybe uh, adding more games uh, probably isn't the mm. <laughs> the right choice. Yeah. So, um, what well, I want to say thanks to both of you guys. Um, this is really great. Um, I've, I've, uh, enjoyed kind of chatting with you, you over the years and, uh, it's just fun to learn more about your leagues and, and in general, uh, weird cartoons and, uh, you know, 40 year long murder mysteries. Um, so thanks so much <laughs> for, uh, for coming on the podcast and, and chatting. And I hope to, to chat again sometime soon. I've got a, um, uh, Henrik, I've, I've got a, a, a Copenhagen uh, trip. I've, I've got to do Hamburg and, uh, and Copenhagen sometime when when things open up again, and I will uh, let you know if I if I come through. Um, well, whenever the hell things open up again, but I, I meant to do it last year, and then, well, <laughs> last year happened. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, but thank you guys, and uh, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Good talking.